0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. When the nation of South Sudan gained its independence from Sudan on July 9, 2011, the hopes for peace and safety of its citizens were high. That reality, however, has not come to be. The people of this area especially those from the Nuba Mountains, continue to flee for their lives amidst an ongoing deadly famine. Professor Emeritus Samuel Totten, PhD, a genocide scholar now retired from the University of Arkansas, is our guest for the fifth time on Radio Curious. Professor Totten, who has visited Sudan and South Sudan, multiple times in the past decade, hopes to visit there again the end of July 2018. In this program, he describes the recent conditions in this remote part of Africa, the heroic efforts of others who have devoted their lives to the people of South Sudan, which is told in the book that he edited in 2017, Sudan's Nuba Mountains People, accounts by humanitarians in the battle zone. We further discuss his plans for his pending trip there and what motivates him to risk his life in doing this work. When Dr. Sam Totten and I visited by phone from his home in Fayetteville, Arkansas on July 9, 2018, We began when I asked him to describe the location of Sudan and South Sudan on the African continent.
1: Sudan is in the northeast part of Africa. It's a very volatile area and has been for quite a while. Just directly below Sudan, as the name suggests, is the relatively new nation of the Republic of South Sudan. But to give listeners a better sense of the geographical location, just north of Sudan is Egypt. Sudan is also bordered by Libya, Chad, the Central African Republic, and then South Sudan, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. Also, the Red Sea borders part of Sudan, and right across the Red Sea is Saudi Arabia. So it's, it's a hot, hot area, both literally and metaphorically speaking.
0: What's currently going on in the social-political situation in Sudan and South Sudan that uh, draws your attention for so long?
1: Initially, I, I began work on the issue of Darfur, where uh, there was a genocide in the early part of this new century. Uh, and gradually, I moved over to an area called the Nuba Mountains. And the Nuba Mountains are almost directly in the center of Sudan. And that's an area where it's comprised of Christians, Muslims, and people called animist traditional religions. And they've been put upon by Sudan uh, for scores of decades, Sudan continues to threaten Sharia law uh, against the people of the Nuba Mountains. The people of the Nuba Mountains, whether they're Muslims, Christians, or animists, want no part of that. They also feel that they've been disenfranchised in every way possible, politically, culturally, socially, economically. And thus, in uh, 2011, uh, the rebels in the Nuba Mountains went to war with the government of Sudan. Now, as far as South Sudan, South Sudan had been in a war with Sudan since 1983, and it went on until 2005. Approximately 2 million people had been killed. And finally, in uh, 2005, thanks to the international community, the government of Sudan agreed to a referendum, and the people of the South then voted to either remain as part of Sudan or to leave. 99.5% of the people voted in favor of leaving, and thus the new Republic of South Sudan was established. Horrifically, though, since 2013, to this very day, the new country of South Sudan has been engaged in murderous civil war. It's It's been horrific. Uh, South Sudan now is considered by an index of countries based on peace within a nation, the third most violent nation in the world after Syria and Afghanistan.
0: After the new nation of South Sudan was created, there is civil war within that nation.
1: Within two years, exactly.
0: What are the issues?
1: Uh, It's it's over power and greed. The vice president president and the president clashed, and they're from different tribal groups, and they could not agree to disagree civilly, and they basically went to war in December 2013. Millions of people literally have fled their villages, and an untold number of people have been killed in the tens and probably hundreds of thousands by now.
0: So not trying to oversimplify it, but could it reasonably be reduced to a desire for territory and uh, religious control?
1: In South Sudan, it's basically, it comes down to power. Who's going to control the country? Who's going to control the resources? Because there is oil in parts of South Sudan. Who is going to control the uh, land in regard to cattle uh, and uh, pasture land? And that's basically what it comes down to.
0: How large of an area is South Sudan compared to France or California in size?
1: Well, Sudan, let me say this. Sudan used to be, when it contained South Sudan, it used to be compared to France or Texas. And about a third of Sudan was lopped off when when South Sudan became a nation.
0: So moving on, Sam Totten, uh, when we spoke a couple of days ago, um, you were telling me that uh, within the next um, several weeks, by the end of July of 2018, you plan to go to South Sudan. What's that trip about? What are your goals and intentions?
1: I'm specifically going to South Sudan to travel up the Nile to an area where a group of people from the Nuba Mountains have fled because of a lack of food and because of the daily bombings by the government of Sudan. They've fled now across the river into South Sudan, and they're without food. And so the express purpose is to get to those 3,000-plus people who are stuck without their own land, without any means to purchase food, and who continue to be bothered by the local authorities and the military and rebel fighters in the region. The other is to bring back uh, facts about what is going on in this particular region, uh, specifically in regard to the people from the Nuba Mountains.
0: When you say, what is going on, What will you be looking for?
1: A number of things. One, whether the town of Kodak, which is where we're heading, has been more or less repopulated because rebels and military troops forced 25,000 people, the entire population from Kodak, last year And people were just starting to come back, and so, one, to find out what is the situation of the Nuba people, how many of them have come back to the area, and what their status is. Uh, Do they have food? Do they have clean water? Uh, Do they have a means of raising money for food? And uh, do they have any access at all to medical care?
0: At this point, what is the extent of your knowledge about those topics?
1: Somewhat limited, actually. What I do know for a fact is that these people that we are traveling to uh, bring food to have fled from an area called the Naro, K-A-O-N-Y-A-R-O, of the Nuba Mountains, which is cut off from the rest of the Nuba Mountains because troops from the government of Sudan have cut them off from the rest of the Nuba Mountains. These people, the Calnaro, have suffered the greatest uh, due to the dearth of food, that is malnutrition, severe malnutrition, and starvation. And what we know is that uh, these people, there are, again, between 2,700 and 3,000 people. We know that they had been settled uh, near Kodak, that they were receiving some food from uh, the World Food Program, they had been receiving some help from the U.N., but when uh, the military troops and rebels began to fight and the 25,000 people fled, uh, we don't know how many people are back. We know that some are back uh, because we know some people on the ground there who have reported that. But uh, other than that and the fact that they're destitute, uh, we don't know much else.
0: Staying with how you're going to get there. You're going to hire a boat. The person who you are traveling with has a contact to do that. Wouldn't you be pretty conspicuous going north on the Nile, uh, carrying food and other necessaries to the people of this area?
1: Yeah, we we definitely are. And I know it sounds crazy, and everybody just about thinks it's crazy, but for the past several months, I have been looking into the situation. Now, what we're going to do is, Uh, first of all, we're flying into the capital of Juba. And when I say we, my colleague's name is George Tutu. He is from the Nuba Mountains. Uh, He knows the Nuba Mountains extremely well. He now resides in the United States, but uh, he grew up there. He has returned there many times. And the individual that we're hiring, uh, he uh, trusts, and we're going to meet him in Juba. We're going to fly to a town called Malakal. Now, this this town, Malakal, is right on the river. Interestingly, or disturbingly, it has been burned to the ground two times. And it was the second largest town in all of South Sudan. And it was burned down as a result of this fighting, this civil war in South Sudan. But more recently, uh, the uh, UN has established a, a camp there. Doctors Without Borders have established a new hospital there. So the point is, it's coming back to life somewhat. And we're going to uh, rent a boat that is uh, particularly fast, one, for reasons of safety, because we could uh, rent a barge if we wished, which carries much more food but goes much more slowly. So we're, we're going on a very fast boat. Uh, Yes, we will be conspicuous. However, I've also found out that the World Food Program, which is uh, very conservative in regard to where it goes and how it goes, has established new uh, routes on the river uh, to begin delivering food along the river as well. And so that's a sign that things have calmed down greatly over the past uh several months to 6 months to a year
0: you're making it sound like that this is a pretty wide river what is the breadth of it at the area where you will be
1: uh in it's not all that wide actually uh i don't know in in uh exactly but uh to get across you you do have to Uh, generally use a ferry to go from one side to the other and that would take roughly uh, a half an hour or so.
0: So the cargo, what kinds of food can you obtain to bring there that is uh, durable and um, um, well-received by the people of South Sudan?
1: Yes, that's a great question. Number one, we are going to, if we, can, if we can purchase them, if we can locate them, we're bringing seeds to the people so they can begin to plant uh, their own food. Our understanding is that the people will have access to very, very small plots of land uh, for their own consumption that, you know, of the food that they grow. So seeds, uh, we're bringing, uh, if we can locate it, Sorghum, because sorghum is the main staple that the people of the Nuba Mountains eat. And we're also bringing salt, sugar, and uh, cooking oil.
0: So, where you're going is in the northeastern part of, um, of Africa, uh, which is um, in large portion very dry desert. What is the source of water? For the people who will be growing the seeds that you will be bringing.
1: Well, two things. One, uh, where they where they reside is is right along the Nile River right now. That wasn't the case when they lived in Cal Naro, but it is now that they've fled Kalnaro or the Nuba Mountains. The second is uh, this is the rainy season. In fact, generally, uh, I would not be going at at this point in time. Uh, in fact. It's not recommended that anyone travel between May, June, July, August, September, October, and November because of the rainy season, and it is so incredibly difficult to get around uh, in the, uh, the Nuba Mountains without an ATV, even uh, trucks, uh, large trucks, or even two-wheel, four-wheel vehicles uh, end up mired in the mud. So the fact that we're going on the boat... Uh, alleviates the need for a vehicle and what we're going to do is uh, we do have another contact in Kodak and we're going to uh, meet with that individual in Kodak so that we do not have to deliver the food uh, by vehicle which we usually do.
0: In this edition of Radio Curious we're visiting with Professor Emeritus uh, Sam Totten uh, who lives and works in Arkansas and has uh, been a specialist in genocide studies. You are listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Sam, you mentioned earlier that people f- with whom you uh, have shared your pending travels uh, have referred to you, have said, that's crazy. I don't think you think you're crazy. So my question is, what prompts you to undertake this excursion?
1: Yes, well, the people that I travel with don't think I'm crazy because they do this themselves, but uh, family members and friends definitely do. And it's very simple. The answer to your question is very simple. As you probably know and probably a lot of your listeners, for years and years and years, uh, certainly going back to the Holocaust, Criticism has been pointed at so-called bystanders. That is, people who stand by while these atrocities are being perpetrated. And as I studied genocide, I found that there was, to put it in the bluntest terms, a lot of lip service to this concept. And my point is, it's always easier to point the finger at somebody else for not being active, for not putting themselves on the line for not reaching out and trying to help people in every way they possibly can. And to me, it became very hypocritical. And thus, I had studied genocide for roughly 20-some years, and I decided if I'm really serious about this, if I'm really serious about trying to help people who are really in binds, who are really uh, desperate, then maybe I need to put myself on the line and go out and help them. And that's what I've been doing since uh, uh, roughly 2004.
0: And since 2004, how many visits have you made to Sudan and South Sudan?
1: Right. Well, it's, I've not only made visits to those two countries, but I've uh, I, initially I spent a good amount of time in Chad along the Chad-Darfur border, where people were flowing across the border due to the genocide in in Darfur. But as far as uh, the Nuba Mountains, I've been to the Nuba Mountains seven times, uh, five of those times during the war. And uh, when I say during the war, that's since, uh, well, the war began in June 2011. I first went during the war in 2012, and throughout that period uh, there were daily bombings, Uh, by Antonov bombers, planes that the government of Sudan would send to the Nuba Mountains to bomb, and there was, of course, daily fighting uh, by ground troops, which I pretty much was able to skirt due to the fact that I was traveling through territory controlled by the rebels.
0: Professor Sam Totten, your recent book, Sudan's Nuba Mountains People Under Siege, identifies a series of people with whom you have worked closely. Can you tell us about some of those people and the risks they incurred and the successes they have had?
1: Yeah, first of all, I want to make very clear that uh, not a single one of these individuals is a scholar. Not a a single one of these individuals studies genocide. These are individuals who, out of the goodness of their heart uh, or for some other reason— decided that they needed to go to the Nuba Mountains because nobody, but nobody in the international community, was attempting to help these people despite the fact that they were suffering an incredible dearth of food, Uh, they didn't have medical care, and uh, they didn't have clean water. So the people that appear in this book, and there are 13 different stories, I only know half of them, actually. Uh, And the other half, uh, of course, I came in contact via stories about them by others who bumped into them in the Nuba Mountains. But I'd like to start with Tom Katina. He's he's certainly one of the most remarkable individuals up there. He's an American. In fact, all of these people are Americans, which tells you something, uh, except for one individual— Uh, whose name is Tomo Kriznar, and we'll come back to him. But Tom Katina is an American. He is the only surgeon in the only hospital that performs surgery in all of the Nuba Mountains, and there are roughly one million people in the Nuba Mountains. Tom went there in 2008. This is before the war. And he went there because he was dedicated to providing medical services to people who didn't have it. And he actually helped plan the erection of this uh, hospital. It was uh, funded and still is by the Roman Catholic Church. And he set it up and uh, went into business in 2008. Since that time, he has uh, performed just about every single surgery one can think of. And if he didn't know how to do it, he would literally read about it before he went in and did it and he would read about it on the internet and during the war this particular hospital had a and still has a huge red cross on top of its uh, roof signifying that it's protected by the uh, Geneva Conventions because it's a hospital and yet the government of Sudan still bombed it.
0: Well Sam Totten In the time that you have been in Sudan and South Sudan, you have seen some pretty horrible things on a regular basis. Would you share those with us?
1: I will. Uh, One was I uh, came across a, a young boy, 12 years old, who had walked miles and miles to a mango grove to because they were hungry, the family was hungry, to get mangoes for the family. He ended up stepping on a landmine. We raced him to the hospital uh, in the land cru- cruiser that I had. Uh, we, it took us about 45 minutes, and uh, by the time we got there, he had died. He had a huge hole in his stomach, and his leg was partly torn off. And I knew he was alive 15 minutes before we got to the hospital, and it was absolutely devastating. Uh, Within this hospital alone, you can see the devastation of the war. Uh, I've been there four or five times. The last time I was there, I walked into the compound, and there were seven or eight men, young men, with only one leg each. Each had been sheared off by the shrapnel from these bombs, that uh, we literally dodge daily, as do the people of the Nuba Mountains.
0: So stepping back and looking at this situation that you describe from a global perspective, why is it that the international community is not involved? They say
1: that they're not involved because Omar al-Bashir, the president of Sudan, threatened when this war broke out in June 2011 that anybody who crossed over the border from South Sudan, or any one of these nations that I mentioned, to go into Sudan to provide humanitarian aid would have their throats sliced. And shortly after that war broke out, everybody cleared out. UN Peacekeeping, uh, all the NGOs, the Doctors Without Borders went into South Sudan. The WFP, World Food Program, uh, UNHCR, all of them left because... They felt threatened.
0: And my question to you, Sam Totten, is uh, before we started recording this visit, you have shared with me um, some fairly serious accidents that you have personally suffered that put you your, your body, your agility, at somewhat of a lesser standard than it was, let's say, uh, 40 years ago when you were a, uh, uh, in your 20s. Why are you continuing to do the work that you do?
1: Because I simply cannot stand back when I know that people are hurting in the worst ways. So I've basically told myself, as long as I'm ambulatory, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. I've studied the issue. Now I've got to help the people face-to-face.
0: Well, Professor Sam Totten, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious, and I'd like to ask a few more questions about you. Is there something in your life that you can point to that changed your life into the direction that you have chosen to live, a eureka or an aha moment?
1: Yes, the aha moment was I It put in 20 years of studying genocide, and I realized that this was almost becoming a profession versus really, truly helping people. And I thought, if I'm really, truly going to help people, then I need to step up, even if it meant putting my
0: life on the line. That's very admirable. It's extraordinary. And that leads me to believe that you also just answered the question, what you would like to do with the remainder of your One Precious Life. Is that true? That is true. So then, Sam Totten, is there a book that you can recommend to our listeners?
1: Yes, an absolutely fascinating book. It's called The Angler, The Cheney Vice Presidency by Barton Gelman, G-E-L-M-A-N. It's about the power that Cheney took into his hands as he attempted to virtually change what the President of the United States could do uh, in regard to the executive branch.
0: Well, Sam Totten, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
1: Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Our guest has been Professor Emeritus Sam Totten, Ph.D., a genocide scholar now retired from the University of Arkansas. As a prolific interviewer and writer, in 2017, he edited Sudan's Nuba Mountains People Under Siege, Accounts by Humanitarians in the Battle Zone. The book that Sam Totten recommends is The Angler, The Cheney Vice Presidency by Barton Gelman. This program was recorded on July 9, 2018. There are over 700 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.